0: Memorial Day is a lot of things, and it's very easy for us if we're not connected to someone who's serving or has served, um, who's been connected to others who have been lost in the line of battle. Even, even for those of us um, who might be one step removed from first responders, um, firefighters, and police officers, and, and EMTs, um, it's very easy for us not to recognize the weight of a weekend like this. And we think of it as the day off and the barbecues and everything else. And just speaking very personally, as someone who has been on the receiving end of the care of first responders this year in our house fire, I can't tell you the debt of gratitude that we feel um, to them. And so that sensitizes all of us, I mean, I think, certainly my family, to the role of people who go in harm's way for others. Um, And so definitely make sure that if you are connected to people um, who have served in some way, shape, or form, that you definitely extend your gratitude to them, their family um, as well. It's something that we want to make sure that we always do. Uh, this, is, this weekend, I get an opportunity to uh, preach alongside Eric Swanson. Eric is, as, as Pastor Brent mentioned, our campus pastor uh, candidate for our Morris campus, which is going to be launching next year. And so what we're going to do is bring to you the beginning of a series that's going to be going through the summer, the, uh, through the, the book of Hebrews. And so if you could stand as we read Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the author of Hebrews. We don't know who it is. We're totally clueless on who the guy is. We, We have some ideas, some guesses, but no one knows for sure. We don't even know the exact... Church location that he was writing to, but most people, most scholars believe it was somewhere in Rome. He was writing to a group of, of Jewish people that were now Christian. They put their faith in Jesus, and, uh, and he's writing them really all about Jesus and how, how central and superior he is, how important he is. And this is the first three verses that he kind of consolidates everything that he wants to say in the rest of the book. The first three verses this is the movie trailer for the rest of the book of Hebrews, and this is what he says In the past, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. At many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. We talked about confidence and making sure that you know that you're, uh, about Jesus being the central person, that, that we can be confident that he is the right decision. And whenever you think of right deci- decision, of course, all of our minds go to, we know what it is. It's, uh, it's Netflix. Um, Netflix is uh, something that, um, how many of you have currently have Netflix or have had Netflix and you've watched stuff on Netflix. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Let's go and watch a movie. I don't know what I want to watch, but I'm sure that we'll be able to find something because there's literally billions of movies on Netflix. And so you start to shuffle through. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I love this film. I love this film. But I'm not going to watch it because there might be a better one. Oh, I love this TV show. I can't believe they got this TV show. I remember watching this when I was in third grade. Oh, everyone, you got it. Everyone got it. But just to be on the safe side, let's keep going. And we do this, right? 45 minutes goes by. You have watched nothing. But you are like dialed in to Netflix and like, I just don't know. There might be a better one out there. And you keep on going and going. Why? Because you just don't know for sure, but it's not just Netflix.
1: Yeah, we, uh, we even see this in like dating and marriage. So if you're married or hope to be married or dating, uh, you know this feeling, especially if you ever like had one of those weird middle school, high school relationships, you know, and then you were crushed as like an 11 year old and someone said, oh, there's plenty of fish in the sea, right? And then you get a little older and you got a new fish and you start to wonder, is this my fish? Is this the one? And you know, and you ask that same question. What if there's someone better? Like, I like this person, uh, we've been together for a while, we're getting older, do I see my, and, and, and you start to wonder, but what if? And so sometimes you keep your options open, and, and sometimes you get engaged, and you still have cold feet, and uh, you know, your spouse is not going to like that story, by the way, but um, even in the, in the area of dating and marriage and relationships, we have this idea of what if, how do I know for sure?
0: Yeah, and and it's not only those two things. I mean, if you're a high schooler right now, you've got major pressure about what type of school you're going to go to and what kind of job, vocation, because if you make the wrong wrong choice on your college, you will never, ever have a career. If you make the wrong choice about a vocation, if you get in the wrong career, it's over. Like, in the rest of your life, you're homeless. That's what's going to happen. And that's what, that's, I mean, so the insecurity is, well,
1: I want to make the right decision, but how do I know for sure? How do I know for sure? That goes through all of our minds, even in little areas. And so for me, Memorial Day weekend kicks off summer, which means like ice cream shops open back up or if you go on vacation. And so even in little areas, so we'll, we'll take like the kids to go get ice cream, right? And there's like a thousand flavors. And I start to sweat this decision because I'm gonna get one scoop and how do I know for sure that I'm not missing out? Because then the rest, my kids are gonna get something different. What if I'm jealous that I chose poorly and I really wish I had their kind? And so I'm like interviewing the other uh, customers as. They walk out with ice cream like, what'd you get? How is it? Can I taste that? You know, and I'm, I'm asking the people behind the counter for recommendations, and I'm sweating this decision like it's a big deal, but how do you know for sure? And then, you know, my wife makes fun of me because no matter what, after all that interviewing and asking for recommendations, I just go with cookie dough every single time. <laughs> so, so how do we know for sure? This is in big areas in our life and small areas of our life, but we see this even spiritually, in our relationship with God, in, in religion. How do I know for sure. How do I know that the God I worship, the religion I practice is right? Maybe it's what I grew up with, the tradition that my parents taught me. And, and then maybe later in life, you start to ask questions that you never asked. Or you meet people that talk differently, believe differently, smart people who, who make good points. And you start to wonder, what if what if what I believe isn't right? What if it doesn't matter that if you believe differently than what I believe? How do I know for sure? And in our relationship with God, what this leads us to is three things. Insecurity, confusion, and drift. That we start to question, we start to feel insecure about our choice, about our our practice, about uh, our God, and and about our tradition, and then and it leads to confusion. Of well, I had this college professor, and and he made some really great arguments about uh, against my Bible, against my God, against what I believe, or or I met this really sweet person who's just kind and, and they're good, and and they don't believe what I believe from the Bible, but. How could God not let that person into heaven? And and what happens sometimes in our life is we drift. Maybe a little, maybe a lot, but we drift in seasons where we're closer to God and we're farther from God. Maybe even where we we take a break from God or or try something else. And maybe you've felt some of those seasons of drift, but it, it really starts with a lack of confidence in who Jesus is and a lack of confidence of like, is how do I know for sure? Is he really the one? And, and this is exactly what the book of Hebrews is going to deal with from start to finish in what we're looking at today. Uh, this is why he wrote this letter to the Hebrew church.
0: Yeah, so their context within the Hebrew church was kind of, they were going through stuff. Uh, and one of the things they were going through was they were experiencing the strains of staying on mission with other Christians. Uh, you might be all about Jesus and you've given your life to Christ and you're like, you want to follow God with all of your heart. And you do that and you come to church and all of a sudden you realize that Christians... Christians are messed up people, right? They can be super annoying. They can be the people that that you're like, really? We're brothers and sisters? Like, I feel like we just hate each other or we're just are so annoying each other. And, why, and the Hebrew church is experiencing that. Not only that, in light of the difficulty they were experiencing in the first century, because the heat is getting turned up on Christians. And all of a sudden, it's going from we're tolerating them, we disagree with them, but we tolerate them to the point where it's like, you know what? I don't think we should tolerate them anymore. Their message is corrosive. This Jesus, Thing is not good. We need to eliminate them. And in light of the difficulty and disappointments in life, they were wondering if Jesus was really all he was reported to be. You tell me that Jesus saves my soul. Awesome. I need, G- I need Jesus to save my Tuesday. I need Jesus to save my Thursday. I need, right, right now, I'm going through something that I need him to remove the pain from, and he's not. So is Jesus really all that he's cracked up to be, according to what you're saying? And they were in danger. This church was in danger of drifting back to the known of Judaism. And because again, this was a group of people that were Jews. They They pushed the chips of their life in on being confident that Jesus was who he said he was. And now they're kind of at a point of drifting back to the known of Judaism and ditching Christianity altogether.
1: Yeah, and so what the author of Hebrews does is he could address some of these things. He could talk about insecurity, confusion, and drift. He could talk about marriage problems or persecution. And, uh, and, and actually, the Apostle Paul does a lot of that in some of the letters he wrote. But in the book of Hebrews, really what he does is, is, is the author says, listen, I, I don't want like to talk, uh, talk a whole lot about all the different issues. I want to talk about the foundation of who is Jesus. And he's like, if you get this right, if you get... Uh, foundational confidence in who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for you, who Jesus is to you, that'll change the rest of your life. It's like we're gonna go back to the basics, back to the foundation to have confidence in the person and the godness and the personalness of who Jesus is to you. And what he says is this. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want to hear from God, Listen to Jesus. So if you've ever thought, oh, I wish, I wish I knew what God was saying. I wish God would speak to me. I wish I could know God more. The author of Hebrews would say the best way to do that is to hang out with who Jesus is, to read about what Jesus did, what Jesus said, how Jesus said it. That's the way that we hear from God. And it's still true for us today. But to the Hebrew church, these are a Jewish audience, and they knew the Old Testament Stories of no one can see God and live. In fact, Moses got near God and his, his face was glowing so that people didn't recognize him. And so what happens with Jesus is the unknowable becomes knowable. The unseeable becomes seeable. And, uh, and so what he's saying is if you want to know God look at Jesus. You want to hear from God, listen to Jesus. And what that'll give you is confidence in who he is, what he's accomplished for you, who he can be in your life. And when you have confidence in Jesus, we're going to look at three things today, three areas of your life that you can have confidence in because of your confidence in Jesus.
0: Yeah. And the first confidence we see in this section is really confidence in the Bible. And for them, the Bible was not the New Testament and the Old Testament. The whole Bible was the Old Testament. And, and the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, you can be confident in the whole Bible if you have confidence in Jesus. Because it's not like all the stuff that you knew about what God accomplished back here, it's now, well, now we've got another God. We've got God 2.0 in Jesus or, or we've got God, kind of like a, a, this, the kinder, gentler God in Jesus. We've, we've got diet God in Jesus. That, that was that was what he was absolutely going the opposite direction on. Listen to what he says in verse one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he spoke unto to us by his Son. So you, we understand that that God used imperfect people back in the day. I mean, these people weren't. They weren't perfect. They were they were prophets. God gave these imperfect people perfect words to speak. But now we're not just listening to a messenger. We're listening to the message. Jesus is the message. We're not listening to the words from God. We're listening to God giving us the words when we're hearing Jesus talk. I mean, and and he showcases in verse 3 how important that is. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You're not looking at a knockoff God. Jesus, the one who died on the cross, is the very same one who was there at creation. Jesus, the one who died and rose from the grave, is the very same one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush, who helped Joshua across the Jordan. Whenever you see in the Bible the angel of the Lord, that's that's code for the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. God is all the way through the Old Testament. So the, the author of Hebrews is upping the confidence of this Jewish crowd by saying, all that stuff that you remember, that was Jesus. He was there. It was about him. Now, that's, that's important for them to, to be able to pick up on the fact that, you know, he's radiance and he's exact representation. But I got to be honest, in 2019, that doesn't do it for us as much. That's not our issue. That's not what we need to hear as much, except for the core of that truth, that the same God that we see in Jesus is the God of the Old Testament because most of us interacted. We came into the faith by hearing about Jesus first. Jesus loves me, this I know for what? Yeah, and so we know that the Bible t- loves us. And we know that Jesus loves us through the Bible. The Bible speaks into that. Jesus loves us so much, he died on the cross for us. He's patient, he's graceful. He said, love your enemies. This is Jesus. I love Jesus. And we're like, oh man, I'm a Christian. I want to learn all about him. And so we go and we get into the Bible. We start reading through the Bible. We get to Genesis. We're like, oh, this is amazing. How cool. Exodus, phenomenal. Leviticus. <laughs> what happened? And then we start reading. like Maybe it gets better. It doesn't. It's like the same angry, wrathful God. And we're like, between the two, I'm going with team Jesus. Okay? I'm not not into Old Testament wrathful God. I like that God. The author of Hebrews is saying, no. These aren't two different gods. Jesus is the same as back there, which causes us a little bit of discomfort. Hold on a second. If this is true, how could this mesh with all that? And two of our primary questions are these. If, you know, when I'm reading through the Old Testament, i got to ask myself, is God a genocidal maniac? Because he's telling Joshua and all these people to go into Canaan and wipe them out. Go into every community, wipe it out. Don't leave a thing alive. It's just, gone. How does that sync up with and love your neighbor and love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you. How does that sync up with that kind of a God? Okay, well, if our confidence is rooted in Jesus first and foremost, then we go back to the Old Testament and we reread. And we read stuff that doesn't sync up with that. So we say, okay, I've got to go dig deeper. What's happening here that I'm not seeing? And when you do that, all of a sudden you start seeing things. see that this land that Joshua is leading his people into was a land promised to the people 400 years prior. And that God had given that land, everyone in that land, an opportunity, not for one year, to come to him not for 10 years, decade after decade after decade, 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 400 years. You see grace and patience in Jesus. You see grace and patience in God waiting for the toxicity, the rape, and the murder to cease. And it doesn't, it just keeps on getting worse and worse and worse. And God says, listen, I promise you this land And you have had people come into the fold, people from the outside. We're not just ethnocentric here. We're bringing people into the fold that are not Hebrew-born people. We're bringing people in. But this people is not. And so you see the people not going in and just like going into kindergartens and wiping them out. We see them going into military compounds like Jericho. Jericho is a military compound where the Hebrew people are outgunned, outmanned, out-military strategies. And they come in. And even though they're the minority movement, they win because of God. And we see all of a sudden God's grace being something that we see even in the Old Testament. But what about the second one? Again, Leviticus is a bloodbath. What positive effect could shedding of innocent, the shedding of innocent animal blood have with our relationship with God? So again, we look. we start with Jesus. Jesus is described as the sacrifice who's paid for our sins. We go back. And we see that they're saying we have a sin issue with God. We have broken faith with the living God. And when you break faith with the living God, the author of life, you, there's death. But God in his plan to preserve us, we see that in Jesus, makes another way. So that we don't die, something else does. But that's not fair. That was an innocent lamb. That's not fair. No, you're right. That's not fair. But that's, that's like... That, that lamb actually cost my family a lot of money. We don't have a lot of money. I know. There's a costly consequence of sin. This is something that no one wants. But this is a way to cover over that. Is this the way it's going to be forever? No. In fact, you read in the Old Testament, you, see, you hear God saying, I don't care about the blood of animals. I want your heart. And all of a sudden, when you get back to Jesus, all of a sudden you see the person who says, I still don't care about the blood of innocent animals. I care about your heart. So much so. That you're not going to, from this point on, kill any other innocent animal, shed any other innocent animal's blood because I'm the sacrifice. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When you start with Jesus in 2019, all of a sudden you go back to the Old Testament and you start going through and seeing that God is moving something in a direction. And when you want to understand what God's heart is really like, you look at Jesus. If you want to see God... Look at Jesus. If you want to know what God really sounds like, really acts like, listen to Jesus and then go back and listen to each one of those other parts of the Bible.
1: Yeah, so our confidence in Jesus really gives us confidence in God's word, like all of scripture. The other second area is that it gives us confidence in our own personal worth. And this is huge, that when we have trust and faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it changes how we view ourselves. I want to look back at um, verse 2 in, in chapter 1. So if you've, got, if you've got your notes, it's actually a typo, but we're going to look right here, uh, seeing that our confidence in our personal worth comes from who Jesus is. So verse 2 says this, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. And then it says this, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the whole universe. So here's what this means. What does it mean... Um, that Jesus has been made heir of all things. What it means is that he has access to and the same authority of everything that God has. All of God's power, all of God's godness, all of God's control, that he is the son of God. And as the son of God, he has the authority over everything that is God's. It is all his. So it's It's pretty amazing. But then it says through Jesus, he actually created all things. I I fear sometimes we celebrate Christmas and we think this is when Jesus came into the world. This is when Jesus was invented. This is when Jesus was created. The author of Hebrews is teaching us that way back at the creation of all things, Jesus was. Jesus is eternal, eternally past and eternally future, just like God is. And in fact, he was somehow through Jesus is how God spoke the world into existence, every beautiful bird, every beautiful sunshine, and you and me. He created us all. In fact, it says he created us in his own image, special, unique, different than all of creation. And all of a sudden, that says, oh, that means that I'm valuable. That gives me worth because the God of the universe handmade me unique with love in his own image. You know, our culture says uh, to a lot of our students that you're just a big accident, a cosmic accident of somehow, you know, depending on your view of how it became, it's just natural order. Uh, the, the area where I serve in student ministry, we've got small high schools, probably smaller than around here. And uh, in the last month, we've had at one school, two different, two different students commit suicide. And it has really rocked the area. The students that were close with them, and even the students that weren't that close with them, they're left just confused and scared and they feel hopeless and 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 they start to question their you know their own life and what's going on in life and someone told me you know it's not it's not that surprising you know we freak out when students struggle with uh, depression and even to the point of suicide but what we've told them since they started school was that they're just the result of an accident but when you read the bible and it says that god made you it's not natural order it's supernatural. And God made you on purpose and for a purpose. It says that you have value. You have personal worth. And more than that, Jesus not only made you, he came and he offered himself in your place to pay the price for your sins so that you could be made right with God. God sent his one and only son and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. When you look at who Jesus is and what he's done for you, it changes and it gives you a confidence in your personal worth. There's a girl in in my student ministry, uh, a junior high girl. About a year and a half ago, she was invited. She came with some friends, and she came a couple times. And one Wednesday night, she decided that she was going to end her life at our youth group, while well, youth group was happening, she, she kind uh, of you know asked to go to the bathroom and, and she had this plan to end her life. Her friend kind of knows about it and so she goes and she gets one of uh, the ladies that serves with us, one of the moms who volunteers. And so she goes in and starts talking with this girl and, and what's going on in your life and just kind of speaking with her and she's able to get her out of the bathroom and they find a place to chat and after like our worship time, the, all the other students break up and go into small groups and, and they just kind of kept talking and, and she's just able to like listen to her and What she eventually does is she asks her, do you know who Jesus is? who is Jesus to you? And she shares who Jesus is. And on the same night that this girl planned on taking her own life, she decides not to and she actually gives her life to Jesus. And she's saved for eternity. And I didn't even hear about this story until about 10.30 at night, right? This whole night, we got all these people and going different places and and, uh, this mom calls me up as I'm driving home. She's like, I'm so sorry. Something big happened tonight. I need to make sure you know about it. But I had to get my girls home and I, I wasn't able to grab you. And so she's telling me, I'm like, hold on, this was going to happen at youth group, I can't believe it, thank you so much for like, being a first responder and, and helping this girl in this horrible time of need. And then bonus, you like, invited her to a relationship with Jesus and, and she believes now, and it's like, it's like the coolest story ever. But what changed in her was her sense of personal worth based on who Jesus is. And so now for a year and a half, she's been an active, involved part of our youth group, going on trips, coming on Wednesday nights, and following God with her life. And the only thing that changed was her personal value. She had confidence in it because of her confidence in who Jesus is and what he's done for her. And that's the same true for us. We have confidence in the Bible. We can have confidence in our personal worth. And then one more area.
0: Yeah, the other area that we see in the first couple of verses here is just the confidence that we have even in the midst of our conflict, like even in the midst of, of those things that, that tear us apart. Um, one commentator on Hebrews put it this way, discouragement. What believer through the ages at one time or another has not felt its numbing grip pulling him or her towards the mire of self-pity and despair? Life and thus the Christian life is fraught with trials that suck the emotional winds from our sails. When discouragement comes, the kind of discouragement that screams questions at the faith, we need encouragement and perspective. We need the community of faith. We need to help we need help to stay the course of commitment. Hebrews was written to offer such help. And we see that right in the, verse, in the third verse in this passage. It says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And then get this, sustaining all things. So easy just to like fly right over that phrase, but sustaining all things. Things. You know what this tells me? This tells me this. All things, that includes you and me. When Jesus is actively sustaining all things, that includes you and me. And check this out. What he says there at the very end there. He says, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification from sins. So if you're a Christian, you put your trust in that. Jesus died for my sins. And a lot of us are like, and that's the end of the story. Nope. That's not the end of Jesus' work in your life. After he sat down, after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And that's a Hebrew Jewish way of saying this, God's in control. After he died for your sins, after he rose from the grave, he is in control. He is literally holding you together. When you're feeling you're pulling, coming across at the seams, coming apart at the seams, he is sustaining you and me, plus the drama we are currently dealing with plus whatever the issue is that you're struggling with, the pain that you're walking through. Life is dramatic, and there are people in this room right now that are carrying a massively heavy load, and you're dragging it behind you, and it's all-encompassing. It's like what you're thinking about when you're in school. It's what you're thinking about when you're at work. It's what you think about when you're at lunch. I mean, this is, it's always on your mind, and it's weighing you down. Jesus is promising here through this passage that he is not just holding you together when you're the best version of yourself. When, you, man, you're just killing it in life. Things are going good in your relationship, at work. Things are going good at school. Grades are going good. And those moments and when everything's awesome, Jesus is holding you together. No. He's not talking about that at all. He's saying all things to let us know that when we are the worst version of ourself, when we are in the darkest moment of life, when it feels like everything is doing this, is holding all things together. He's holding us together. The series graphic that Ryan came up with, and and Ryan Coleman, our our designer here at the church, uh, came up with the theme for the book of Hebrews for our study. And uh, he uses a a flame, which is totally triggering me, but we'll move beyond that. And he called it another in the fire, which that's a double trigger. Come on, Ryan. But it's actually, um, it's coming from a, a song that Hillsong United wrote, talking about how, you know, you look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and, and they get chucked in the fire, and they're like, look, look, Nebuchadnezzar, if you throw us in the fire because we're worshiping the one true God, we believe he's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're good with that because we can trust him. And we'll see him as soon as we die. And then all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar sees the three in the fire, but he sees a fourth. There was another in the fire. I believe that was Jesus. Because whenever you see that, the angel of the Lord in the scriptures, you see the second person in the Trinity surfacing, reminding his people, I'm with you even in this. The confidence that we have in Jesus should remind us again of Netflix. If you didn't simply go to Netflix, just, eh, I'm just going to watch a movie, but you went with the confidence of knowing exactly what you wanted to watch. Like, for example, season three of Stranger Things is dropping. You're not going to Netflix and going, I wonder what I'm going to watch. No. You're going direct. You have the confidence. This is the choice. And because this is the choice, I am going to watch this. No question about it. There's no other options. With regard to a relationship, when when I was, when I first started dating, when Julie first allowed me to date her, when that happened, like as soon as we started dating, I, it was like this, as long as I don't screw this up, As long as I don't do something really dumb, we're going to get married. She is the one. And I basically said this. It's not like Julie plus maybe some other options. It was Julie. And when you have the confidence of that, you shape all of your life and all of your decisions around that confidence. And we have that in Jesus. If your confidence is in Jesus, you shape your decisions and your actions based off of that confidence. Now today, you might not be confident in Jesus. You might be. You might have confidence in him. You might not. And, and I hope that you're both here. But if you, whether you have confidence in him or, or not, we have three steps we'd like both of those two parties to take.
1: Yeah, so if you're here and you're like, I'm not convinced. Uh, good for you guys. I don't know if I believe in your Jesus. I don't know if I agree with everything. Like, First of all, we're pumped that you're here. You don't have to believe what we believe to, to, to be with us. And so uh, welcome. But what I would challenge you to is to investigate this Jesus for yourself. Like, in my life, there's a lot of things that I just kind of want to not think about. You know, you know, I don't want to open that email yet, so I'm not responsible. I don't want to open that text yet, so I don't forget to get, you know, and I just don't want to think about that yet. I'll just, I'd like to just live and pretend it doesn't exist until I have to deal with it later. And, and that doesn't work real good with, like, the biggest decisions in your life. And uh, who Jesus is is the biggest decision in your life. And I would say it like this. You owe it to yourself to at least decide on purpose if you don't want to follow Jesus. Like, someday we will all stand before our our creator, and and if our answer is, I never got around to thinking about it, that's not going to be a good enough answer. So I would say investigate who this Jesus is for yourself, and then if you don't, you know, decide that he's the one true way to heaven, at least you've made that decision on purpose. Don't. Let it be an accident in your life. So here's what I would say. I would challenge you to read the books of the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four books of the New Testament. And they're biographies of the life and ministry of Jesus. And I would, I would challenge you to just read it for yourself. There's actually a, a plan on the Bible app, version. And so if you don't have version, it's a free, just, you know, search for the Bible app. It's a free app. And uh, there's reading plans, and if you just look at this one here called The Gospel, it's 30 days, and each day it'll give you uh, a couple chapters to read, and in one month you'll read through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And I believe that's the best way for you to investigate for yourself, who is this Jesus? Do I believe that he is who he says he is? He did what what the Bible says he did, and he's my one true Lord, or not. And you owe it to yourself to at least purposely make that decision. Um, outside of reading the the Bible for yourself Errol's got a couple of other recommendations
0: yeah there's a couple of books that I, I highly recommend I'm not going to explain them right now they're but they are Two out of the three of these were written by atheists who after investigating the evidence of Jesus' resurrection, whether or not, because that's what it all banks on. If that didn't happen, this is all a joke. And so, that, But they, through that analytical process, came to the conclusion that no, I, I can actually push the chips of my life in on the confidence I have in Jesus. So take a look at those. Those are written on your notes. If you've got your notes in the back, take a look there. Um, if you're someone who's like, you know what? I wanna investigate, but I'm not into reading words and stuff, mm-hmm. no problem. That's why God invented YouTube. So we got Gary Habermas. Uh, just go ahead and do a search for Gary Habermas. Um, The first thing you'll get is this top, uh, very exciting looking video right there. It's an hour and 20 minutes. This is a college level lecture on why you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus, even if you don't believe the Bible, which is fascinating. How in the world would you get to that conclusion without the Bible? Gary will tell you. So take a look at that. Um, But in addition to these things, we also encourage you to do one more thing.
1: Yeah, I would say this is really simple, but if you're not convinced that Jesus who is who he says he is not the one true son of the one true God, I would say come back next week. Come back, maybe for the rest of this series, as we're just kicking off this introduction to the book of Hebrews, the rest of the book is all about who Jesus was, and that he is the best choice, the only person that deserves your worship and, and your surrender of your life. He goes on to say he's better than all the angels, he's better than any priest, he's better than any prophet, and so if you're not convinced, just come back next week, just show up and listen, maybe come for the rest of the series, and, uh, and give Jesus a good chance. If you're here today, and you're like, listen, I'm already in, I agree with you, I I'm convinced Jesus is the Son, of the, God, the Son of God. You know, he is already the Lord of my life. Then I would, my challenge for you would also be to investigate. But it'd be to investigate, is there any area in your life where there's a disconnect from what you say you believe and the way that you live? And that's a scary investigation because the deeper I mine into my mind and my heart, the more even small areas that I see, where there's a disconnect between what I say I believe and sometimes the way that I live or the way I speak. You know, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, wrote a book, and in chapter 2, verse 19, he's, his, he says this, you believe that there's a God. Big deal. Even the demons believe that there's a God and they shudder. And the idea is this, it's not enough to just say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe that, then it should make a difference in the way that you live so i would say investigate is there any area in your life where there's a disconnect between what you say you believe and how you live
0: and a couple of things that we just even see through this passage that we can investigate that are straight parallels to what the hebrews author of hebrews is saying is your worry and your anxiety we can believe that God is holding all things together; that, he's, he's, that He holds all things, and, and that He has a. But then we like freak out, and I'm not talking about clinical depression or anxiety. That that's, that's stuff that, that I'm talking about the, the type of worry and anxiety that we shovel on top of any of our clinical anxiety, the stuff that we make for ourselves because we're just out of place and out of sorts. The, the truth is, is that in this life, what we have to do, if we want to live peaceful, full lives that God's called us to, is to let that belief that we have and our confidence in Jesus inform our worry and our anxiety you know there's not much more of an anxious um, vocation right now in our community in our area than farmers because God has cursed Grundy County with a flood and there's like they can't get they seriously they can't get seed into the ground and 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 I was talking to a farmer's wife today and she was saying this is on the level of mental breakdown what's taking place as far as the farmers in our community And you drive by all the fields, you just see weeds coming up because they can't get stuff in the ground. And so we have a a friend that grew up, uh, he actually didn't grow up at this church, but he got saved uh, through 360 at this church. He's now at a church in Joliet. And his his name's Dave Bowles. Um, His kids come to our programs and stuff. And I I just wrote him and I said, hey Dave, I've been praying for you, um, brother with the the difficult weather, you and the rest of the farmers, you okay? He said, thanks so much for the text, Errol. I'm doing well. And this is where Dave's beliefs inform his actions. God is in control. He is always good and provides no matter what the situation's. Been an interesting year to say the least. We were able to get some planted down in the central portion of the state. Not much here yet, only 22 acres planted. And then he stops and he pivots and then he says, "Oh, well, I was going to ask you as well if you wanted me to do anything special for Spy Kids this year. Who does that? That's who does that. It's not easy. But that's what you have at your disposal if your confidence is in Jesus. And not only that, your view of other people's status is informed as well. If you believe that God, in fact, Jesus is in fact the one who's created all of us, created us in his image, we have value in that, then that all of a sudden speaks into how we look at other people's statuses. Um, when I, um, This past week or the week before, we had a whole bunch of attention put on Manuka in the news because of what's taking place on the school board and what, whether things were said or tweeted or said into a school board. And honestly, I wasn't there. I have no idea what was said or not. But my wife and two of my kids were at the town hall meeting where people had a chance to speak to the school board. And Carson was one of the people who was drumming this week and had a chance to speak to the school board. And the thing that, I, uh, that he said afterwards is this. He said, you know what? In the midst of everything else about what happened or what didn't happen, we don't know that. But the thing that was so important for me was to hear friends of mine and people that I know around school who are, are people of color who ha- had a chance to say, listen, I need to tell you that I have been treated differently. Th- this is what was said to me. This is something that was said to me simply because of the way that I look making me feel devalued. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in God, you can do whatever you want to do. And actually, that's coherent, and that actually fits perfectly with a non-Christian perspective. You look at people, and you judge them by their skin color, their tribe, their class in this world. That's all totally normative until you read the Bible and until you follow Jesus. Because if you do believe that, then you get to Hebrews 1, and you realize there is not any room at all for a Christian to look at someone and make a judgment call on their skin. Yeah? And so the cool thing is this, is that because of that, we can actually, we actually do make a judgment call. It's just different. We just look at them and go, oh, that's, that person's valuable. That person's loved by God. Look at the palette of colors that God has used to make this world of humans. And we get a chance to look at his art every single day. Amen? As a Christian, we get that informed by our confidence in Jesus.
1: And the third area I would say to investigate is... Uh, is there a disconnect, is your view of other people's status with God. And what I mean is this, if if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the only way to get right with God, then something in us should be broken and bothered by anyone who doesn't yet know that to be true. Now, our world loves this message of tolerance, right? And and you can believe what you want, and that's totally fine with me. And, And, um, and I don't mean like in a judgmental way to say other people are wrong. But what I mean is if, is if someone believes differently than us, we should know better to say, if I really believe my confidence is Jesus is the only way to God, then I want so badly for you to know the truth. Without, you know, yelling at you or bashing you with my Bible or judging you. But just to say that there's something in me that says, no, you know, it feels really good to say you believe what you want and you be a good person and all that and we're all good at the end. But if your confidence is that Jesus is who he said he is, and Jesus Himself said, "I am the only way. No man comes to the Father except through me." Then we should have the same feeling that something in us should be broken for every person we know that doesn't yet know Jesus. Our confidence in Jesus should lead us to share our faith with everybody we possibly can. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and um, as we were talking before, one of the things that that as Christians we're called to do, we're not called to tolerance. We're called to something far more difficult. We're called to love. We can tolerate people all day long. Jesus said, don't just tolerate them, love them. Love them. And, and as we're going through this whole series, as, we, as we're looking into the reality that Jesus is alongside us, what we need to realize is the thing that we, we celebrate once a month at our church when we come to the, the Lord's table, it, this is a, a table for Christians, for people who said, I have put my confidence, not the fact that I don't have questions, not the fact that I don't have doubts, but I, I am pushing the chips of my confidence in with Jesus. I'm betting my life on him. Do I have all my questions answered? I don't. But I can tell you this much. God came to earth. He died for my sins. And he rose again. And so in 2019, I can follow him. The bread represents his body. The cup represents his blood. And we take that in remembrance of him. If you're a Christian in just a moment, we're going to be coming around the tables. I want to encourage you to exit your rows when you do this, to go around all, both sides of the table so that the lines can come through, get the bread and the cup and bring them back. And spend some moments in contemplation. If you haven't put your confidence in Jesus, this table isn't for you. But it could be. There's no magic formula we see in Scripture. Simply a turning over of your heart and saying, I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. I'm trusting you with it. My confidence is in your work, your finished work on the cross for me. So right now, go ahead and do that. And we'll take the elements in just a moment together.